0: Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We are located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Robert Kelly. How are you guys doing? Good. All right. I'm glad to hear that. So if you're new here, you're like, I don't get the Pokemon thing. And so that makes perfect sense. We're in uh, the midst of, in fact, this is the last week of our Pokemon Grow series. And so we're wrapping up the series today. And uh, you can think of it as really an extended parable. We've been taking a look at this phenomena that struck over the summer um, called Pokemon Go. And we're trying to take a look at what causes something like this. to to increase in popularity so rapidly, to grab people's attention, their focus, their passion, to help reveal something about the human psyche, about our needs even, and then lining those things up with the scriptural principles that we've been learning from God's Word, and we sort of mash them up together here, and we see what comes out of it. And that's what we've been doing for the last number of weeks. And uh, with that, we've been able to talk about some of the other uh, activities or parts or uh, passions associated with gaming, uh, with gamers and gaming. Now, one of the, over, like I'd say, over the last couple of years especially, uh, quite a few of the games that I have played, especially on my phone, have been games that I got, that I got hooked into through my kids. And so, you know, the kids start saying, hey, I'm going to play, I'm playing this game, dad, Angry Birds, you should try it. And, you know, I'm playing Clash of Clans or Clash Royale, dad, would you, you should try it. And it was actually the same thing that happened with Pokemon because I picked up uh, one of my sons one day to drive him somewhere with a whole bunch of his friends. And it's all they were talking about. They just couldn't get enough of it. They're like, Dad, go right here. Drive left. Go go by the post office. And there's a pokey stuff. Stop, stop, stop the car. And I'm like, well, I don't even know what is happening. This is so bizarre. And so my son took the phone. And I think he installed it even for me that day. And he's like, you got to check it out. You got to, you know, start playing it. And of course, you know, I wanted something that I could continue to talk about with my kids and kind of interact with and something we could enjoy together. And so I do this. Uh, and uh, to, Because to me, it's the together part that makes... It's so much more fun, and many games today are increasingly social. This might come as a surprise to those of us who are a little bit older and have only heard about all the negative things associated with gaming. But if you think about it, even the the kind of some of the big popular games in the last few years like Words with Friends or Scrabble or Draw Something, part of the, the attraction was that we would do them together. We could do them virtually, but it was a reflection of the physical world. And we really like that because the together matters. And of course, that's also true of Pokemon Go. I think one of the best parts of that game is the social dimension. It's the community side of it. Teamwork, collaboration, the social connection, both in and out of the digital world. People often walk around together. They'll let other people know where the rare Pokemon are. They'll they'll contact their friends and say, you got to get out here and catch a Pikachu. They have teams that work together to to capture a gym. So there's all of this collaboration happening. Even families would go out together into the parks so they could catch Pokemon and hatch eggs. That's what they would do. If you had been in the city during this, you'd see large groups of people all walking about, getting to know each other, playing this game together. And you've got to see that encouragement, because you don't want to play by yourself. You don't want to play by yourself. Now, it's true that there are many, many people who game alone. But it is so much better to game together. Psychology today says, perhaps more than ever before, video games have become an intensely social activity. Instead of the stereotypical gaming nerd who uses video games to shun social contact, over 70% of gamers play with friends, whether as part of a team or in direct competition. Games such as World of Warcraft and Farmville boast millions of users with online social communities and regular interactions with fellow gamers. Social and pro-social activities are an intrinsic part of the gaming experience, with gamers rapidly learning social skills that could generalize to social relationships in the real world. More and more, an increasing, small, but increasing body of research is developing to talk about the positive effects of gaming together. Science Daily reported, that a Texas Tech University researcher had wondered about the implications of teaming up with others in video games and how that differs from playing alone, competitively or even not at all. And it seems, they said, that playing video games cooperatively with others can lead to widespread benefits by making players think helpful behaviors are valuable and commonplace. Researcher John Velez, he studied how cooperating with other players in video games, extended to social situations after the controllers are put down. In another related study, they demonstrated that playing cooperatively with a helpful teammate in a non-violent video game not only increases pro-social or helping behaviors toward teammates, but opposing team members as well. I mean, catch that. That's pretty interesting fact right there. So you've got these guys, they're gaming together, and so you would expect some sort of teamwork and and socializing to take place by your team, but you're still opposing someone else. They found that the goodwill actually extended to your competition in these games. Something about the collaborative nature of these games can be a great benefit to the gamer. Now, of course, that's, you know, this isn't about gaming. Gaming together is better than gaming alone because being together is better than being alone. If I told you that I had a magic pill, if I told you that, that researchers had uncovered this, this amazing little pill that had all sorts of incredible benefits, It'll increase your sense of belonging and purpose. It'll boost your happiness. It will reduce your stress. It'll improve your self-confidence and your self-worth. It'll help you cope with trauma such as divorce or serious illness or job loss or the death of a loved one. It'll encourage you to change or avoid unhealthy lifestyle habits such as excessive drinking or lack of exercise. That this little pill would have all of these benefits and so much more. You'd be, you'd be hankering for that thing. And the Mayo Clinic says all of these things come to you through friendships. That and lots more. You'd be begging for that magic pill. American Psychological Association said that a lack of friends isn't simply an inconvenience when you want a movie partner or a ride to the hospital. A sparse social circle is a significant health risk. The research suggests in a meta-analysis of 148 studies that were comprising more than 308,000 people at Brigham Young University, the psychologists found that participants with stronger social relationships were 50% more likely to survive over the study's given periods than those with weaker connections. They, They likened the risk to smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day and one that is double the risk of obesity. So two of the greatest health risks of our day pale in comparison to being alone. God, of course, knows all of this. Take a look, if you would, in the Bible at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. And we're going to see that, of course, it only makes sense that God knows this because he actually created us. He wired us this way. So this isn't a surprise to him at all that we all need a spiritual family. We all need a spiritual family. Verse 17. But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. See, he carries this orphan language. He starts off with it and he's like, listen, we we felt orphaned from you without a family, without a, a network that would love us and support us. We feel alone." But, he says, I have a longing for you. The longing is the key idea here. This desire to be, to be with your spiritual family. That's how Paul was. He had a longing to be with them. He didn't want to be an orphan. He didn't want them to be orphans. He, he, he longed to be with them. And then you notice there at the end of 18, but Satan blocked our way, which of course is exactly what we would expect. Because Satan is the enemy of all things that God is trying to do for the good of his people. And so it only makes sense that Satan actually tries to block the formation of spiritual family, of community. Of course he has to fight against it because he's fighting against all that is good for us. He doesn't want us to have these kinds of connections and these kinds of friendships. He has to block the way. Now look at chapter 3 verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. And so now he finds out the greatest of news, there's a mutual longing going on. They desire to be with each other. You see, we need a spiritual family and the cultivation of that longing is an essential stop on the journey toward those kinds of connections. He even hits it in verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He's saying, look, I want, there is supposed to be a love overflowing. It's increasing and it's overflowing to each other, to everyone else. And then I love this at the end of of that verse in 13 where he says, when the Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. So even when Jesus returns, he's not coming alone. He's coming with all of his holy ones. He's bringing back all of the family that's gone before us. He's going to restore us into a completed whole. It's actually a big part of the return. So Paul has this longing for them. They have this longing for him. And here's the thing. You know, Trevor and I were talking about this, the message this week. Sometimes we we talk as if, you know, you got to find a spiritual family. You got to try to be a part of a spiritual family. And we will often use that language, but it isn't really quite precise. It's not quite accurate. You're already part of a spiritual family. That's actually who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, I know not everybody here is, but if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, then you've already been adopted into the family, then these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's not as if you you need to figure out how to become part of the family. You are. You have been declared so by the Father, an heir to the great inheritance that is ours and the participant in this brand new family. Whether you're acting like it or not, Whether you want to be or not, you're already a part of this family. I think that has an impact on us because you know, imagine how it is that we feel about people that abandon or neglect their family. You know, when you hear about a guy that runs off and he won't stay and take care of his kids, or the mom who does the same thing, you're like, "What in the world just happened? That's not right." You have that brother who you know just kind of all went screwy and went off on his own and disconnected from his family, and when the family is in need. They're, you know, that, that's the brother or the sibling that never shows up. It's the uncle that doesn't care and all that. And you think, what kind of people are that? Who would do that? What kind of people who are part of a family don't act like they're part of a family? It's something so, there's, it's so wrong to us. We look at, come on, you can't neglect. You can't for, forget about your family. It's family, for crying out loud. I wonder if God ever wonders this, if he ever thinks about it that way. If he's like, guys, you're, you're brothers and sisters, you already have a spiritual family. Live it. You know, it's different from our natural family. Oftentimes, our natural family doesn't have the spiritual convictions or the experiences that other Christians have. We know that that was certainly true of Jesus, right? His family came, his natural-born family came to see him, and they said, hey, your family's here, and Jesus is like, who's, who's my family? This is, these are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters. The people here who do the will of God, they're my family. It's not that he was, you know, he's not trashing his natural born family. But he is saying that there's something different and deeper with your spiritual family. There is. You know, I used to speak of our natural born family as you know, your blood family. You, know, that's your, you got your other family and you got your blood family. Your blood family is your real family, right? And then I realized, but that's not really, it's not really accurate, is it? I mean, we come to the table every week. We celebrate this and it's because of the blood of Jesus. And it's because of the blood of Jesus that I'm a part of this family. It's because of the blood of Jesus that you're a part of this family. We're blood family. You know, in the old days, you used to you were a kid, you used to cut your hand, and your friend would cut his hand, and you become blood brothers, right? Like, is that just a Jersey thing? Anyway, it's like we used do that because there's like loyalty. You know, it's a bl- now where it's a blood bond. You can't break a blood bond. Terrible things would happen if you break a blood bond. We have a blood bond. We're blood family, of a better blood than the natural blood that that courses through our veins. So, are you connected to your spiritual family, to a group of Christians? who you desperately love and who desperately love you back? Are you connected to a group of people who will call on you when they are in need or who you will call on when you're in need? Are there people who will drop everything for you? And are there, are there a group of people, is there a group of people out there that you will drop everything for when they have a need? you got to cultivate this. A number of people heard that uh, Cheryl was out of town last week and I'm not exactly, you know, I think it went out in the prayer list or something like that and she went to Texas to go uh, visit with her family that was traveling And uh, so they were in Texas, she was gone for a week, and uh, it was really sweet. I got a whole bunch of emails and calls and little texts and people stopping me, how things going, everything okay, you all right, and even an emergency meal was brought over, somebody brought over a meal, um, you know, to like, you know, make sure that, you know, everything was okay. It was all, it was really very sweet, and it it kind of taught me a couple things uh, about, you know, it's, the first thing it taught me was that I have a spiritual family. You know, I have people that will think about me and are praying for me and are looking out for me and my kids. They care about me. And it's powerful and it's sweet. And it also taught me that my spiritual family just doesn't really trust my domestic survival skills. <laughs> like, you know, we got to help them make sure the kids are alive when she gets back, uh, you know? You're feeding the pets, like the whole thing. I was like, oh, I don't know what else to do. But are you connected to your spiritual family? And you know, when it comes to love, we can keep going deeper and broader. We can do more and more. Look at 1st uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other, and in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, this is so key, yet we urge you brothers and sisters To do so more and more. There's the key idea, right? More and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. It's more and more. There is no end to the development of family love. And no one should be left out in the cold. We're talking about more in depth. Drive those relationships you have deeper. We're talking about more in breath. Add more and more people to that network that is vital to you. Breath, depth, add more and more. Pokemon was created by Satoshi Tajiri. It was an idea that he got because of his childhood fascination with bug collecting. And so he brought together his love for bugs and collecting and trading them with his friends and his love for video games and outcomes, Pokemon. And when you press into something like that, if any of you are collectors or if you do anything like this, you'll know that when you press into these things, you immediately start looking for your tribe. So I have kind of an addictive personality. Whatever I do, I usually do it like big. And so, you know, I got into magic and I ended up getting all of these magic tricks when I was a kid. I was like 10 years old and I had all these magic tricks. I started doing shows professionally for like little kids parties and I collected every trick I could find. And, you know, I found a little group of people who were doing the same thing and loved it. I used to hang out at the magic shop and find other people that we could talk about with. I did rock collecting for a while. And so, you know, we used to travel all over North Jersey, banging on rocks, finding other people who were collecting rocks. And you try to push into a tribe when you do that. Lately, I, I, the last few years, I got into hunting. So what do I do? I'm looking for people who do it as well. And I make those friendships, and I start to press in. It. Why? Because we're looking for our tribe. We, we, we're, cr- we're creating these little family units wherever we go because our souls are hungering for it. Any of you have collected anything or you're into anything, you're, you know what happens. It starts to get into these things where you're like, oh, I'll find other people who like this sort of thing, who share this interest with me. Now we can share it together. And there's something about sharing it together, which is so powerful. See, this is part of the more and more. Paul gives us this admonition, right? He says, work hard, lead a quiet life, and all of this. And at first, it seems a little bit out of place. But I think what he's trying to say is you can reallocate all of your resources and reorganize your life in such a way that it makes living this way possible, It gives you the resources you need, time and money. You see, the most potent obstacle that Satan uses to block our efforts at building spiritual families is going to be the allocation of our time and money. He'll do this over and over. We need to learn how to structure our lives in such a way, like Paul outlines here in verses 11 and 12, so that we can, in fact, do this kind of life and live this kind of way because Jesus said we're family and then he said that he wants us to live that way and we know how important it is he died for this he died so that we could come back to the father so that we could have access to him and when we're now part of the family we have each other this is why we come to the table and we recognize that as a family he didn't just die merely for me he died for us. And that's why he returns with the holy ones. All of this letter talks about how he's going to return. 1 Thessalonians mentions it probably a dozen times in one way or another, talking about how Jesus is going to return. So we find out that Jesus died so that we could become part of a new family. And guess why he's coming back? So he could be with us. That's what he says here. He can be with us. He wants to be a part of this new family with us. Do you see that? Why he died, why he's coming back, it's about knitting us together in this new spiritual family. That's how important it is to Jesus, that we live this way. We need to make increasingly deep connections, deepening connections. Article in the Huffington Post said that many people view friendship as a happy but relatively superficial part of life the cherry on top of the Sunday, rather than the Sunday itself. But in her book, FriendFluence, Carlin Flora explores just how much influence friends can have, from physical health to emotional health to careers, and how the importance of friendship is wired into our very beings. She lists, among many other things, the following benefits that researchers have uncovered. It enhances creativity, it makes us more productive and happy at work, it lowers blood pressure, staves off dementia, increases our lifespan, helps us heal from disease faster, increases, enhances our own intelligence, gives us a mood boost by giving us people to help. Just a few of the research-backed benefits of being connected to other people. So you can ask yourself, how do I do this? What's my next step? And we'll go back. Think about the time in your life where you cultivated the best relationships in your life. Back when you were in grade school, back when you were in college, how did you do it? How did those relationships get formed? Go ahead and come up with one good one and tell the neighbor next to you, tell him how did you get your best friendships in life? Go ahead, go ahead and tell him. You don't need to whisper, go ahead and tell him. How did you get the best friends that you've had in life? How? What were were the ways? Anyone? What's that? You reached out. School? What's that? School? Yeah, school. Someone in the first service said suffering, which they meant by school. What else? How else did you guys be? how, How did your best friends in high school and college form? What's that? Accepted by someone? They could. They knew who you were, but they still cared about you. What's that? Same interests, right? Some sort of shared life experiences. You remember back in the day, if some of you don't remember this, but we used to go, our parents would tell us to get off on our BMX bikes and come home for dinner. So we had our little BMX bikes and we'd ride through town. We would just disappear for hours and hours and hours. I don't even know what we did. We wasted time together. How many times in college you just sit for hours and hours doing mindless things with your friends? These are part of how we cultivate friendships. The skills are, people wonder, how do we do this? The skills aren't lost to us. We just forgot how it happened. We can still do those things today. Or think about your your natural-born family. What are some of the rhythms that you find as you relate to your natural-born family? What are some of the things that happen? What are some of the things you do with your regular family, with your natural family? What are those things? You can think about it, you know. Anytime there's an emergency, you expect them to show up. Doesn't matter what's going on. You expect them to show up because they're family. Like someone's having a surgery, you're supposed to be there. You're family. Even if you have to travel, there's a wedding, there's a big high holiday of some sort in your life. There's some special moment, it's a 50th wedding anniversary. You don't see, you see, you see cousins there that you don't get to see for like a year, two years, five years. Sometimes, you're like, because it's expected that family will celebrate those moments with you. The holidays, you'll always know who's going to be at your Thanksgiving table because it's. It's a time for family. You see, these are the principles, how you developed your friends in high school and in college and how, what the rhythms of your life are with your natural-born family. These are examples of how we can cultivate. We could bring all of these into our, the cultivation of our spiritual families. There's all sorts of different ways that we can do this. Have fun together. Waste time together. Have an emotional presence and availability. Make sure you share life and meals and interests and all of that kind of stuff. And you can cultivate a deep spiritual family. We have to practice love by longing for, by loving each other more and more. You're not going to just wake up one day with more longing. That's not how it happens. It just doesn't like pop into you. It's got to be cultivated. You have to create the environment where longing will grow. Create the opportunities where longing will thrive. That's how we'll do it. You know, and there's so many little ways, even little steps that you can begin to take. For instance, take Sunday morning as an example. If you think that Sunday morning is simply about coming out to church and hearing a message and singing a song or two, you've missed out on what it's about here. That's true. That stuff happens here, but that's not what it's about. It's an opportunity every week. It's a natural rhythm of your life. That you can use to strengthen the bonds in your family. So get here early. You know, I know the time between services is tough now. But get here early. Stay till the very end. Stay until, you, you know, you're getting kicked out. Look for friends. Make some new friends. You know, sh- make sure you, you, you turn around and get to know some people. Afterwards, you know what everyone does after church, right? Eat. Even though you had a bagel, it's not enough. People will often go out. So what do you do? You know, get later services especially. When's the last time you invited someone to come out and have lunch with you? You know? I'm not saying invite them over to your house, especially if you don't know. They might be weird or you might be weird. They might not like it. But, you know, who knows? You don't know that yet because you haven't tried. So, you know, go do something safe. You know, there's all sorts of amazing restaurants. Just say, hey, you know, we're going to hang out. We're going to go eat. We want to get to know you. Why don't you come? Have you done that? You used to. Used to be just able to make a friend and shake a hand and get to know, spend some time, waste time together. Ask about each other's lives and see where it goes. So you can maximize opportunities. Take growth groups as an example. There's still, you know, we have, I'm not sure what the percentage is, but, you know, we've got a good number of people already in growth groups. I think you said 10 growth groups going on right now, Trevor. And so each one, maybe it averages 15 or more people. You've probably got 150 plus people. We're probably looking at maybe, I don't know, 50% of the adults at Beacon are somehow involved in a growth group. That's a great number. It's a great start, and half of you aren't, but it's an opportunity. I mean, my goodness, what an easy way to get to know. Share some common experiences. Share some life together. create. And I know why you're saying, I can't do a growth group. I know why. I'm not an idiot. I mean, we all do this. Time, schedule, too busy, too much going on, too many other. Childcare, that's a big one. All of these issues, yes which is why Paul tells us we got to reorganize our lives and our priorities around the things that will actually most benefit our soul and draw us ever deeper into the family life that Jesus has designed for us. That's the only way it's going to work, but it's a great commitment to make. There's lots of little ways. Here's my challenge for you. Here's what what I want you to do, all right? So on your connection card, you can go ahead and take that out because I'm going to ask you to make a commitment here. For those of you that are willing to take the challenge, we have just over two months left till the end of the year. So this is, this is a 2016 family building goal. And what I'm challenging each and every one of you to do is add six new opportunities to do more and more. Six new opportunities to go deeper and deeper to do more and more with your spiritual family. So what that might look like for you is, now remember, what I'm looking for is a face-to-face time, an opportunity to to waste time together, to get to know another person, to spend a little, to invest a little in a relationship that could go deeper. Now, it can be an existing relationship that you want to press deeper. It could be a new relationship. Both of them would count toward your six. Here's what does not count, so don't cheat. If you're in a growth group already, you cannot add the next six growth group sessions and say, I did it. It is more and more. So if you're in a growth group, those six don't count. You have to do more. If you're not in a growth group and you get in a growth group and you go six times, then you win. You know, that already is done. You've already got all six. But that's my goal. If you want to do that on the back of your connection card, I want to get a sense as to how many of us are going to commit to doing this for the next, we have just over two months, two and a half months almost, Write on the, in the prayer section, just write a six X, a six X, six times is what the commitment will be. You're going to set a goal, which means not quite every week, but nearly every week, You will have a phone conversation. You will have a cup of coffee. You will have a meal. You will go out to a movie. You will share life in some way. You will have people into your home. You will go to their home. You will go to a restaurant. You will do something six times before the end of the year to try to develop and enhance our spiritual family here at Beacon. you imagine what it would be like if all of us began to do this more and more? Even those who are doing great at it, urged by Paul, by me, more and more. Those who are feeling disconnected, this might be brand new for you. Those that are already connected, you're going to experience even deeper levels of family love and commitment. Six times by the end of December. Love to see how this goes for each and every one of us. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we're asking that you would help us to create the moments we need, the environments that we need to have this longing grow in our hearts. Help us to find the people to invest in, Lord. Help us to to hear from the Spirit, the promptings that you give us. Help us to reorganize our lives in such a way, Lord, that this becomes an increasing priority. You've wired us this way. You made us this way, Lord. And, And all the evidence points to the truth and the need and the value of it. Father, make it ever more real for each and every one of us. Knit us together as brothers and sisters in this new spiritual family that you died to create. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.